The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Looking for a fun take on modern spirituality? You've come to the right place. From new thought tools to the science behind the metaphysics, dive into interviews with the most interesting people in open spirituality and self-development. It's a big universe, and I'm your host, Jim Lefter. Well, hello, and welcome to Big Universe. I'm excited to be here with you today. I'm Jim Lefter. I'm a spiritual journeyman and media consultant. Joining me today is my super co-host, super co-host, Spiritual Rebel Sarah Bowen. Sarah is the author of Sacred Send-Offs, an animal chaplain's advice for surviving animal loss, making life meaningful, and healing the planet. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? Oh, I feel like I need a cape now. now I think you, you should have a cape. Super, I thought right? you I had one already. need a cape and a, a, a big S on the front of my shirt or something like that. Yeah, I'll get right on that. <laughs> well, I've got the tights already. I have those on all the time. <laughs> I don't know that you need to confess that right now, but we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> what did you think of the opening music? What did I think of the opening music? Yes, the new opening music. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you haven't even heard it yet. Because I haven't I'm, even I'm heard adding it. But... it in post. <laughs> but you know what? Since time is a construct. That's true. I love it. Awesome. So you've been in a whirlwind lately. Tell us what you've been up to. Have been on a whirlwind, been doing a lot of um, conferences and different types of um, workshops and conventions out in the world. Uh, and so it's been really great to, one of the things that that I thrive on is being able to be out in the world with people. I think after, uh, I do a lot of Zooming as we all do, and being able to be in spaces where uh, I, I spent some time at the Parliament of World Religions with you know 9,000 of my closest friends. Uh, in Chicago and spent some time at a holistic vet conference, which was great. So I'm really excited to be home for a little while. And my cats and husband and the squirrels outside, I think, concur uh, that it's nice to nice to land a little bit after so much travel. Awesome. That's great. I'm so excited for you because I know there's been a lot of great stuff happening with you. So uh, you're teaching a lot and, and people are learning a lot of stuff. So that's good. Yeah, it's be careful what you ask for sometimes right <laughs> well it brings you joy <laughs> it does bring me joy and joy is what we're talking about today our guest is lisa mccourt she's the author of free your joy it's gonna be a good conversation i think i think so how can we have a bad time talking about joy exactly do you have a quote for us today i do and spoiler alert it's about joy <laughs> and not one of my best friend's babies who is named joy what a oh. great for a baby. Uh, but here's what I've got today. Step away from your busyness and savor several moments every day. Feel the joy that is available to you. Oh, I like that. Who's that? I, I needed this with the busyness. I need <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that spoke right to my heart. That's Alan Marinus in a book called Everyday Holy Day. And he, he's a fascinating guy uh, who's written a number of books on the Musar movement. And if you don't know much about um, Musar, it's a, a, a Jewish kind of personal spiritual path um, that's very contemplative. And so I think, uh, I think that spoke to me today. How about you? What'd you? What did you find? What did you unearth today? Your heart knows the way. Run in that direction. <laughs> I like that. And I'm also scared of it. <laughs> <laughs> like run in that direction, but be run careful. In that direction. All right. Who is this? That's Rumi. Is that right? Yes. Now that I think about it, it does sound kind of Rumi-ish. Yeah. I... When was the last time you ran, Jim? 
I don't want to talk about that. Yeah, you know, I it doesn't think, give me joy. <laughs> I, I think that this is something for us, though. I, I, you know, when you read that, I was thinking about, you know, when you're a kid and you go running across yes. a field, yeah, or just yeah. the, the excitement, or that, you know, you, when you have so much excitement in your body that, that you run, not run, not because you have to run or, or not run out of fear, but the running, um, or running with a dog, I'll just the that. expression of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll get in on that roomie. Good choice, Jim. All right. You ready to get into our interview? Let's run into it. Let's. <laughs> Lisa McCourt believes that genuine sustainable joy in all its many flavors is your birthright and your highest calling. She's trained thousands in the art of vibration elevation and written dozens of books that have together sold over 8.5 million copies. That's pretty cool. Actually, nine. That's an old bio. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> a, for, a former CBS radio host and frequent speaker at personal growth events, Lisa has collected and shared vibration elevation techniques for over two decades. She runs the online joy school at lisamccourt.com. She's also the host of the podcast, Do Joy, right on mindbodyspirit.fm. So we're you're our sister podcast. Yes. Looking forward to having y'all on Do Joy as well. Well, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. So, Lisa, welcome to Big Universe. I keep, like I was mentioning uh, prior to the, the actual interview here, I keep wanting to call you Joy, Joy McCourt. And I've been doing it all week because you're all about joy. Everybody does it. It's crazy. I just answer to it. It's easier that way. It's fine. <laughs> so I guess the first question is, what does joy mean to you? And what's the difference between joy and happiness? Yeah. And in Joy School, we we define joy as a freedom feeling. And it's really a freedom to be all of who we are. And happiness is a perfectly natural state to want to aspire to. We should all have happiness in our lives. It's one of the perfectly natural human emotions. But we wouldn't want to like hang out at happiness 24-7. It wouldn't even serve us, right? We wouldn't have any contrast. We wouldn't have any notion that we are happy if we didn't ever have the other perfectly beautiful emotions so it's really about changing our relationship to those emotions that we consider our negative unwanted ones changing our relationship to our anger to our fear to our sadness and grief because grief can can open a depth of, of feeling and poignancy and richness and expansion that nothing else could ever do for us grief is love grief big grief is just big love and anger can can be a solidifying of our boundaries in a really healthy, beautiful way. It can help us, you know, show us where we can make change in the world. So instead of, of resisting these perfectly natural, beautiful emotions, we want to find the rightness and, and embrace of them and allow ourselves to feel them. And then there's an undercurrent of joy that can be available to us 24-7, as opposed to that fleeting feeling of happiness, which we're only going to have some of the time. Well, I definitely want some of that. I like that joy idea. That's a pretty cool idea. <laughs> I came up with joy. Yeah. That no, my... that's, cool. that's cool. I forgot to mention that your book is called Free Your Joy. So I want to make sure that we mention that. Yeah. Free Your Joy is the newest book. So I, I guess I'm wondering, with everything that's going on in the world right now, how do we maintain a feeling of joy with what's going on? Yeah. And I think the, the first question for a lot of people is, how can I even focus on my own joy, my own happiness? Isn't that crass? And, and right. Isn't that selfish? Selfish. Yeah. When there's so much that's there's there's devastation, there's all this going on. So, you know, I think that that's a really common feeling that I shouldn't be happy when others are, are unhappy. I don't think that there's a lot of spiritual truth to that. I think that all of the spiritual teachings point toward this this idea that in order to affect any positive change out there we have to elevate our own vibration keep our own vibration high we are the microcosm affecting the macrocosm in every moment in every way our energy is affecting those around us in our inner circle and then that's going out and affecting everybody in their inner circle all the way out to the kid making your deli sandwich or the guy who steps onto the elevator you're on your energy is affecting everybody else's energy we're vibrational beings in a vibrational universe so there's that that piece of it for sure and and just the this idea that 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 we 
actually have any power to take care of all these atrocities in the world. Yes, we're being shown right now some horrible, horrible atrocities. Those aren't the only atrocities happening on the planet. This is the atrocity du jour. This is the thing that's in our face. It's being shown to us. It's being presented to us that so many of us are caught up in especially those of us who identify as sensitives which probably a lot of your listeners are i, I know I yes that. yes i'm sure that's the case yeah and and so it we it's about recognizing that there's very little that most of us can do if you see an inroad to do good if you want to contribute money or you see an inroad to do good by all means that's what we're here for to, to appreciate that oneness and, and want to be helpful and want to do good but to think that playing this this endless game of whack-a-mole with our attention and our energy on all the atrocities in the world is going to serve in some way. It's it's just not. The best thing we can do, I go back to the, the Diamond Sutra, the way uh, Stephen Mitchell interprets the Diamond Sutra, that it's much, much, much more powerful to focus on your own elevation of consciousness, your own transformation, than all the charity that you could possibly do out there in the world, that you're going to give more to the collective by focusing on your own energy than all of the the outward charities that you could possibly perform. So I am really curious about that, Lisa, because I'm involved in a lot of grief work and involved in a lot of companioning people through through that and and often have found that that joy is such a beautiful counterbalance um, also to to grief sometimes. What would you what would you say to the critique perhaps of of living at the high elevation or the high vibration, excuse me, um, that sometimes we don't feel uh, fully through grief feelings or feel fully through sadness in some ways. Yeah, the what would your response to that be? Beautiful. Yeah, that's the spiritual bypass. And I think that that's where uh, positivity gets a bad name. Optimism gets a bad name is that it really cannot be an inauthentic expression of it. You you have to allow yourself, and, and even in the definition of joy that, that we embody, it's about allowing yourself the absolute fullness of grief, the absolute fullness of sadness to the point where it, it the rightness of it is so exquisite that we can touch joy by allowing it fully, not by ever putting it aside, denying it, repressing it. That's how we get all those pockets of stored energy in our, our tissues that we have to work through later through our feel to heal practices. That's how, that's why we're the, the magnets for all those owie triggers that, that push our buttons is because we've denied and repressed and not felt the depth of our grief and the depth of our sadness or anger or whatever it is that we're meant to feel. Yeah, it, it's a great point that you make because I think that's that's how a lot of people think, think about um, you know, joy. Joy is is denying everything and sweeping it under the rug and pretending that it's it's a happy, happy day when it's not. And it's it's really the opposite of that. It's giving yourself the compassion to be right there wherever you are. Beautifully said. I really appreciate that distinction. Um, because I think that, you know, Jim's first question that he asked you is such the crux of this of, you know, what is what is joy and how are we defining joy? Because so often, um, you know, it, I, I hear people with this idea that, you know, joy is kind of the, the the rainbows and the unicorns and then everything is fine and nothing is is wrong. And you're not acknowledging um, some of the things that are going on in their experience. So really appreciate that that um, that answer that you've just given. I appreciate the question. <laughs> you say that joy isn't created, chased, or manifested. It's already here. Um, you know, we, we, we just have this concept that we've got to go after joy, that we've got to make it happen. So what do you mean by that exactly? Yeah, I learned in my journey and embrace and my teachings, the, the spiritual principle that we are joy and love. That is what animates this meat suit that we are wearing. We are at a soul core level, every one of us, the full expression of joy and love. And the only reason we're not experiencing ourselves that way on a day-to-day -day basis is that along our earth journey here, the vast majority of us have accumulated some obstructions to to recognizing that truth of who we are. It's that <laughs> just a few. <laughs> <laughs> we pick up a few along the way. And and it's not about having terrible parents. It's just about, you know, this is where we are. This is where humanity is, is that we're going to absorb these frameworks primarily in our earliest formative years from our caregivers, from our culture, our society, sometimes religion. 
And that's going to create the framework of beliefs that we carry through life. And it's not going to be apparent to us because it's the water we swim in, but we're going to create and manifest all of our circumstances and all of our reality through this really, really early formed framework that is typically full of obstructions to recognizing the joy that we inherently are. I believe every human being wants and craves love and joy because we're really craving that homecoming to, to the truth of our, our own divinity, which is the core of every person walking the planet. Nobody's walking around without a soul. Very true. Beautifully very true. said. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you talk in the book about the, the qualities of the inner landscape of joy. Um, can we go there and talk about uh, what do you mean by that inner landscape? Yeah. So we're, we've all been conditioned to think like, once I get everything just right out here, that's when I get to have joy inside. Once I have the all the boxes checked, I've got the, the job, I've got the home, I've got the partner maybe, or the income that I've been thinking I need. And once all of these external pieces are in place, then I can have internal joy. And it's a completely backward ass equation. We have to learn the skills of upgrading our inner landscape to one of peace and joy and contentment. And once we've got the inner landscape just right, we're sending out a completely different vibrational signal that's going to make all those things that we think we want out there just kind of effortlessly fall, fall into place usually for, for most of us. We're not going to care as much because we've already got the, the joy now going on. But, but it's that backwards equation that, that causes so much grief and suffering unnecessarily. We think that we're, we're constantly playing whack-a-mole with all these, these um, happy makers that we've identified out there. And they're just ever morphing, dangling carrots at the end of the stick. They're always going to be changing and shifting. Anybody who's ever gotten what they wanted knows that it only makes you happy for five minutes and there's something else that you want out there. So it's about recognizing the the internal landscape is what matters most. So some of those qualities, I wonder if we could run through some of those, like grounded serenity, for instance. Tell me what, what you mean by that. Yeah, that one's kind of meta. It's like- <laughs> we're, That's we're, okay, we're... we get meta here. <laughs> I like that one. And if it keeps us from whacking moles as an animal lover, I'm so happy. Let's yes. do grounded serenity. <laughs> I saw you cringe. I'm sorry about that. Sorry. <laughs> it's such a great phrase and it also makes me cringe. So ground me in serenity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think that um, we, our stress, our anxiety is always directly proportional to how much we are trying to control out here, <laughs> what's happening out here. Right. So there's the, the surrender. And, you know, people, people feel some, some discomfort around that word. Like, oh, if I, if I surrender, I'm just giving up. I'm throwing up the white flag. I'm, I'm not going to make my dreams happen. Like, what do you mean surrender? And it's, it's really about like surrendering this misconception that we have control over what's going on out here. So grounding serenity is really that, that first recognition that, we are going to be so much more effective. If, if our goal is to change something up out here, we're going to be so much more effective to come into it from a place of non-resistance. Because when we are putting all of this negative energy into fixing the problem and solving it, and I got to come up with a solution, and we're, we're just loading that thing with the energy that keeps it stuck and immutable because we've identified it. It's a problem. We've got a problem. And now once we've we've identified it as that, that becomes our expectation. And we're always creating everything out there with our deep down expectations. So grounded serenity is about sort of taking, taking note of that dynamic that most of us do and becoming completely accepting of whatever it is that we're not liking in order to be more effective in our brainstorming about how we might go about changing it up. Present moment immersion, which is difficult for me. I, I will admit that, you know, I'm always looking towards the future, you know, what's going to happen and uh, looking towards the past and what has happened. You know, it's it's tough to be right in that center, but it's really important. Yeah, it is. And that's another one of these just super ubiquitous. Any spiritual tomb you pick up from anywhere on the planet is going to talk about the the 
be here now. Eckhart Tolle calls it the power of now. And I, I think that we all can understand how for most of us, most of the time, unless we're in the, you know, being waterboarded in the moment, most of us, the, the present moment contains peace. Whatever is haunting us is something that we're remembering from the past that, that we're dwelling on, that we're replaying in our mind or something that we're worried about coming true in the future. And we, we, we get addicted to that ticker tape of thoughts that's scrolling across our head. We, we tend to identify it and think that that's telling us what's real and true and, and who we are. And so when we can get a little distance from the ticker tape and notice how much of it is about the past or about the future, we, we can have more objectivity around the absurdity of most of our thoughts. Most of our thoughts are super repetitive, not conducive to joy and appreciation of the present moment. And it's really just a habitual addiction that we have to our thinking, which is generally about the past or the future, that once we get a little distance from it, we can notice that oh, I can breathe easier over here. <laughs> you know, that if I look around, like I, I am comfortable, actually. I, I don't have any huge, you know, uh, saber-toothed tigers charging toward me at the moment. So much of that programming comes from our primitive brain, you know, when our survival was in danger at every turn throughout the day, which is not the case for most of us in our civilized Western societies where our, our daily survival is pretty much ensured from day to day, but our brains haven't caught up to that. So we're always on, on lookout for some perceived danger, whether it's something we're remembering or something we're projecting into the future. And then it gets even more layered because even our projected future thoughts are usually just us overlaying the past onto the future. True. <laughs> so True, it's really yeah. mostly all about the past, even when we're, we're calling it the future, it's like this overlay of what we believe based on our past experiences. So the next one that you talk about is the namaste lens. Tell us about that. Yeah, that, that that was one I had written about in my Hay House book 10 years ago that we still just use so much in Joy School that I, I had to talk about it again. It's, again, a, a really commonplace a spiritual idea that, uh, you know, that the light in me recognizes and honors the light in you. It's seeing beyond the meat suit, seeing beyond the particulars of who someone is being in this moment and trying to just recognize them as a soul with a journey and their journey, sometimes, you know, of course, we know nothing about their journey, but if they're behaving in a way that we don't like, it's because of a series of things that we can't even begin to, to perceive about them. And I like to always think about also when there's somebody in front of us that we're judging as behaving badly, we don't know this person's trajectory. We don't know who they're going to be next month or next year or, you know, so so we're really just placing all of this judgment and allowing our energy to be knocked off off center by what might just be a little snapshot in this person's life. So the ability to try to do those reframes and, and just see the, the soul of the person from your own soul essence, the more we get skilled at recognizing ourselves as a soul, the easier it is to recognize everybody else as a soul, lets us tap into oneness. So I want to I keep going with the qualities, but I also want to ask you what a joy set point is, which you refer to as a joy set point. Yeah. So we all have this default setting, this, this spot that we're going to keep returning to again and again. And again, it's part of that, that early formed structure of beliefs. We decided prior to age seven, how much happiness and joy a person should have or maybe just that we are supposed to have in our human journey here. It's a subconscious decision. A lot of it is absorbed from our caregivers or how our caregivers, how well attuned they were to us, how accepting they were of us. We make a decision about how much happiness and joy we're going to have throughout our life. And then anything that that sort of threatens that starts to feel uncomfortable. We're all going to have days when it bumps up a little and days when it dips down a little, but we're going to keep wanting to level off at whatever that joy set point is that feels familiar and comfortable to us. And we're going to subconsciously make sure nothing happens to get us too happy. <laughs> we'll also yeah. subconsciously maybe make sure nothing happens that dips us too far down as well. But we, 
the more we can take conscious awareness of that, the more we can take the steps to elevate the whole set point. So we'll still have good days and bad days, but the whole set point will be just like on a new level. So another one of the qualities that you talk about is unwavering faith. So faith in what? And how do you define faith? Yeah. This goes back to that acceptance principle, right? So things are going to happen that we're not going to want to happen. <laughs> this is this is a human life. It's a human journey. We all signed up for one. And the more we can have faith that, I don't want to say that everything bad that happens is for our higher good and our evolving. I think we all know that there are some things in our life that are meant to be there and their struggle and their challenges, and they are absolutely divinely orchestrated. We attract them and create them from a subconscious place on purpose for our own betterment and evolving. But a lot of the things that we're attracting and creating that we don't like don't need to be there. Those are just the, the result of this patterning that this, you know, habitual brain patterns that we all subscribe to. So one way bring faith is in, in one sense, the discernment to know the difference, <laughs> to know that, that, okay, this feels like something that I have to try to find the gift and strange wrapping paper, because we can all look back in hindsight and see times where we did not want to be going through a particular challenge. But on the other side of it, we can recognize, wow, it really led me to that, or it taught me this whole new thing about myself, or it was the reason that I got involved in this thing that's now the most important thing in my life. We, we can all do that in hindsight. It's harder to do it while we're in it. So having that unwavering, unwavering faith that this thing that we're not liking is either going to serve us in some way that we just can't see yet, or it's something that we're going, we're on the brink of learning how to stop attracting because it's just about breaking that habitual thought pattern. So what's, your, what's your sense of spirituality? I mean, do you, do you have a sense of like the universe or God or source or, or is it a different concept? What's, what's your take on, on spirituality? I'm super comfortable with the term God, but I usually say universe just because I feel like that's more universally comfortable for people. I didn't come uh, grow up with any religious upbringing, which I consider a gift because I got to do all that exploration on my own. So I love God. I talk to God. I, I feel God in my life all the time, but it got to be, you know, like I got to make up my own definition of God. And for a lot of people, that's not the case. They had a definition imposed. Right. On. Already there from childhood. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I typically would use the, the term universe, but I think it's just the recognition that there is a force in everybody's life. There is something that's unseen that is here guiding us and, and shaping humanity and it's love. And, and if we can rest in that and believe in that, then it helps us to not, not get so thrown off our center when we see things that, that seem wrong like this shouldn't be here anytime we're resisting and fighting against something that we're recognizing in our consciousness again we're just feeding it energy that's keeping it stuck and immutable so just sort of taking that position that there is a benevolent benign love presence that's we're all a part of to me i can create a better reality here with that belief then I would be able to create without that belief. And I do believe, I mean, Einstein talked about that we are always creating everything with our thoughts and our beliefs. So as long as that's a choice, why not choose a better belief that's going to let me create a better experience in my earth journey? And I want to get into, I want, you have several keys in here, but I feel like this this inner landscape of joy is really important to, to setting the pace here and i know that this the book is a year-long journey so i can't get it in a you know we're not going to fit it in a uh you know hour-long conversation really here. jim i thought we were i know uh, we're gonna well, try people need to get the book then yes people need to get the book <laughs> and listen to her podcast and join her school but um i i, I just want to i i just think that this inner landscape of joy is real important to to set the pace or, or set the 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 groundwork for everything because it touches a little bit on everything that you talk about and goes into the keys so i'm if you're okay i'd like to continue on some of those those qualities 
Um, so living the questions, which is very difficult for me, you know, to be in a place where um, I don't know the answers and I don't know, you know, what what the what the expression is. So what do you what do you mean by living in the living the questions? Yeah. I think that that is part of our human conditioning, but well, I think we come here already just so eager to make sense of this place and time. We we come here just needing information and knowledge. We want to know the definitions of everything. What is love? What is money? What are men? What are women? What is power? What is strength? What is my place in it all? We come here with these burning questions that get answered way too early before we have emotional maturity before we have logic based Get on answered by other people in a lot yeah, of ways. for us yeah. <laughs> for, sure. for sure and then that goes back to that that framework i keep referencing so there's that and and, and we're just we we want to get it right and whatever that early definition is it's human nature to seek out evidence that shores up that first assumption that we made and ignore all the evidence to the contrary. That's the confirmation bias. We have a, a community bias. We have all these biases in our brain that, that tend to make us always look for evidence for what we already believe to be true. And we create these first beliefs before there's any logical reason to create them. And then we go into school and if you have the right answer, you get praise and stars and glowing hugs from your teacher. And if you get the wrong answer enough times, you get shame and punishment and you're made to feel less than. So all of this programs us to just really, really, really want to believe that we know what's what. And our desire to be right about things is stronger than our desire to be happy. We are that weird as creatures, even when a different belief would make us so much happier and so much more joyful. And even when that different belief is just as objectively true as the crappy belief that we're subscribing to, if we had that belief first and we've already kind of stated our position on it, we're just going to, you know, glom onto that. And we see so much of that in our culture these past few years with the society. Whatever we've declared as our position, we're going to stand by that if, you know, the, the alien could be standing right in front of us, inviting us onto the spaceship. And if we don't believe in aliens, right, then, right. You know, so it doesn't contribute to our joy. So the more we can kind of watch the absurdity of that tendency get get really first intellectually smart about why that tendency is there and then decide i don't want to subscribe to that anymore and we can relax into open-ended curiosity what if everything i know is wrong you know that's like a, a buddhist maxim what if everything i believed is false and then it just it opens the potential for so much joy because there's so much potential reality that we could describe subscribe to and make our truth hmm. why aren't we subscribing to the truths that contribute to our joy yeah we give that power away um to other people so much of our lives that it really takes it takes an effort to release that 100 percent. so so it's like really hard at first because we're all defensive about our truths and our opinions but then as we start to see how joyful it is to let go of a few of them it it opens up you know, more and more of the spaciousness for that joyful curiosity where every day is just this like playful adventure because the, the you loosen the stakes on everything. So it's like nothing matters as much as we really think it does, right? All these big decisions we have to make, all these, which direction do I go in? It usually doesn't matter. <laughs> so when we can get a little bit playfully curious about that, we just have more fun. And as we let go of that need for certainty, so much. Uh, I think there's such a, a beautiful balance with the next thing you talk about in, in intuition and trusting your vibes. So tell us a little bit about what that means for you. Yeah. So much of my career, I've been brought up in Hay House. So I have been surrounded by psychics. And I remember in my earliest, earliest Hay House days, being like a little bit annoyed by that. Like I am here for the positive psychology and the personal development and all of these things that I subscribe to. Why are there all these like psychics? Why can't they have their own convention? Right. <laughs> it wasn't something I was interested in. And then I, I started listening to them and being in their seminars and, and seeing how absolutely you know valid this, this skill of psychic ability is. 
and really treasuring what what I was able to learn from the psychics that I was around. But also, it, it's that idea that we all have this ability, which I didn't believe. I thought, no, some people are just born special like that. That's not that's not me. So this is one of the most recent of all of the the principles and keys that I've written about that I've actually come around to. I, I studied for a year with a, a psychic who helped me to open my own intuition. And once you see how duh it is that, that we all are operating from our intuition all the time, we're just not recognizing the places where we're doing it. And then it just gets easier and easier to listen to it. Um, when I'm feeling into, do I want to do this or do I want to do that? It, it It's a practice skill to say, is that coming from my brain stuff that I know is taking cues from that early formed framework of beliefs that's not so reliable and do I really want to be listening to that or what what is my heart saying what is my body saying what is do I feel expansive about this do I feel contracted about this and it's so reliable when you just start listening to your your soul and your body as opposed to those crazy thoughts how did you start listening to your intuition I mean what's what's an experience you had to to bring that into fruition I think if there's a specific one I could give you. Um doesn't have to be specific. I guess I'm I'm just wondering, you know, how do we learn to listen to that intuition? I think journaling helps a lot. If you have something coming up and you're like, I don't know if I want to do it, you know, this way or that way, what what feels like is gonna work out best? Well, this is what feels like, and just kind of go into that space of like, well, this is what it feels like, but here's my pros and cons list that's coming from your head. And my pros and cons list is showing me that, you know, I should go the other way. And then in hindsight, oh, look, I should have followed my intuition. And the, the more you do that, or sometimes you do follow your intuition. And then in hindsight, you're able to say, oh yeah, that was the right call. I followed my intuition. Even with stupid little things, the more you do it, the more you show yourself how much more reliable your gut instinct is than than your your reasoning this happened to me with umbrellas i learned the lesson through umbrellas because i kept i would get when i lived in the city when i lived in new york city and i'd get this little hit that said take an umbrella today and then i think no i don't want to put an umbrella in my bag i've got so much stuff in there it's going to be heavy and then you'd go out and there'd be a deluge and you'd have to spend $16 to buy an umbrella from a guy on the corner when, you know, you could have just brought it with you. And after that happened enough times, you know, that noticing, like you're, you're mentioning Lisa, that noticing in hindsight, like I had the hit, I had the hit right on the way out the door of, you know, grab this or grab that. And it'll happen at the grocery store too, where I'll look at something and then I'll be like, oh, my husband doesn't need peanut butter. And then I get home and he'll be like, did you pick up peanut butter? And I'm like, what, what was that about? So I think sometimes we think of intuition in these, the, the big, big, the big stuff. And I feel like sometimes training on the, what, what might seem little or banal or practical gets you to start noticing when that voice is coming up have you ever experienced that type of thing jim yeah i have i have um you know i it, it occurs to me that i'm going to call you when there's a weather situation and see i'll if tell I you if you need you. an umbrella no but I, I, don't I, know umbrella. Your, I don't know your inner or outer landscape yeah, so you have learned yeah. from lisa so you'll you'll have to choose your own umbrella <laughs> well in the flow what is in the flow mean it goes back to the acceptance piece. It's, it's again, that whole recognition. And, and this is something that everybody's heard that what we resist persists, what we fight, we ignite. It's just noticing how powerful our funnel of attention is. And we can funnel it to be in the flow with whatever's happening, or we can catastrophize whatever that word is we can we are always going to be more effective get through whatever we're not liking more smoothly more efficiently see the gift and strange wrapping paper when we flow with it as opposed to pushing against it would you say it's a felt sense for you the way that you use flow i think at this point it is yeah yeah, I mean, things things happen that are hard to flow with, for sure, for every one of us. 
and I don't want to scare anybody off this path with this, but it is something that I, I chuckle with with some teacher friends is that when we're working on flow, <laughs> the universe says, oh, I'll lob something. Here's something, right? Here's something. (laughs) Here's something to try to flow with. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and that leads us, I think, beautifully to number eight um, in the ideas here for inner landscape propensity for awe, which I I think is perhaps my favorite. Talk a little bit about what awe means to you. It goes hand in hand with the curiosity piece. It's like, when we think we've got it all figured out and we have our life in this neat little box, we're just not making room for surprises. We're not making room for, you know, we're we're walking across the gravel parking lot after the bad meeting with our head down instead of looking up and seeing the fantastic, incredible sunset that's happening right over there because it's we're just not open to what's available to us. So propensity for awe is is noticing the little things like somebody's laugh in a grocery store or, you know, I mean, there's just so much delight around us that we typically have these blinders because there's all these important things we have to focus on. And once we can kind of like put those aside, the world is full of awe-inspiring moments. Her clunk, as you say in the book. But I love Jim loves this one. I love those kinds of things. <laughs> I love Kirklunk. That's uh when it really hits you, right? Yeah, that was something that I think I, I just said off the top of my head, you know, like in, in a few workshops and my major schoolers started uh, like making it part of the like, okay, we have to define this part of the curriculum. Yeah. Yeah, part of the curriculum. To me, that's just like a silly word I must have picked up in childhood for when when something like Kerklunks. So what what it, it is is that we'll be talking about mindfulness or you know some super out there concept, present moment awareness, something that like everybody has heard a thousand times, but that day in your life you found yourself accidentally experiencing it, and it's like oh, that's what it is. That's what it means. It's when it goes from being an intellectual aha light bulb moment to being a felt experience. And once you've felt it in your body and your consciousness, it becomes easier to recreate it. And, and you want to recreate it more because it's not just up here. It's like, now I know the, the benefit of this and the rightness of this and how this feels. And you want more and more of it. Well, I'm going to put Kirkplunk up on my wall, I think. <laughs> you, re- you really hit me when you said whatever degree of joy you're currently experiencing is, is the pre- precise measure of the amount of joy you deep down believe you're worthy of experiencing. Wow. That's really interesting. Unpack that a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Unpack that a little bit for me. Yeah. Because we're always creating everything out there with our inner landscape. So, and, and it's, it's not something to ever, like if you, if you're thinking about something that, that you wish you hadn't created, there's first the taking responsibility for having created it with your energy, but it's never about self-judgment because we do this so innocently, so unwittingly, it's all just the result of that early formed framework. It's not something that we ever want to beat ourselves up about like, I created that, how could I have done that? No, we all create a mixed bag. And I'm sure, Jim, that you have created beautiful, lovely, wonderful things in your life. Look at this beautiful podcast. Look at Sarah, your partner. You've created amazing, beautiful things for yourself. So you want to take credit for that too. Like my energy went out there and created that for me. And my energy is also creating this other thing that I feel is depleting my joy, is making me not as joyful as I would like to be. Every one of us does it, right? It's about looking at our lives and recognizing that everything in our consciousness we're in relationship with. We're used to thinking about how we're in relationship with the different people in our lives. We don't think about how we're in a relationship with our car, with our body, with our home. We're in a relationship with the concept of money and the concept of romance. And all of these relationships are part of that framework. And wherever there's an area of our life that, that we look at and say, I don't like that. I wish that wasn't there. It's just about getting recognition and clarity on the relationship that you've formed with this thing. And we heal it much in the way that we heal relationships with people. It's forgiveness work, right? We all know the magic of forgiveness. We all know forgiveness isn't letting the other person off the hook. It's all for us, right? We've all heard that holding resentment, holding a grudge is like 
eating poison and expecting the other person to die. We don't do forgiveness work for the other. We do it for us. And it's the same with these different um, areas of our life that we might be feeling are depleting our joy. We have to have a whole forgiveness protocol. And, and it's when we, when we think that there's something out there that's dragging our joy down, we think it's just about forgiving that, but usually it's about forgiving ourselves in, in relationship to that. So we have to forgive us and the other party in equal measure. Normally there's some hidden shame, hidden blame that that's not at the conscious level, but we're, we're harboring that as well. So we do forgiveness work on whatever it is, whatever it is that that's uh, that, that feels like it's dragging down your joy. So for those who are listening and are saying, okay, this sounds great. I need joy. I need to access my joy. I need to be joy. I need, I'm, I'm in and I, and I want to understand how to do this. Can you give us a few examples of joy exercises? Yeah. So a, a first one that's just really pretty easy and basic. Everybody could do it um, throughout your day. You want to pause, I say a minimum of three times. If you can do it five, eight, whatever you're you're up for, the better. And go inward for a moment, disengage from whatever's in your external environment in that moment and just check in on your feeling state. We, we talk a lot in Joy School about the relationship between thoughts and feelings. So I'll put a, a pin in that for the moment. But, and, and I always teach my Joy Schoolers to use terms of endearment with yourself. So it's darling, what are you feeling? And that can be really hard sometimes too, because that voice that talks to us in our head typically isn't kind and isn't using terms of endearment with us. So we have to retrain that. But have you been listening to my my brain there with that? Uh... <laughs> I, I listen to lots of brains, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so typically our voice in our head doesn't call us darling, but we're we're working on retraining that. And it's just, what are you feeling? And then we just want to observe our feeling state that's tapping into our, our body, our physicality, our, our headspace, and notice the tendency to judge our feelings, to deny our feelings or saying like, oh, I, I have no right to be feeling that way, or I don't want to admit that I'm feeling that way. That's not spiritual or whatever it is. We have a tendency to judge our feelings. So just with compassion, try to accept exactly what you're feeling in that moment and then the next question is, darling, what do you need? Hmm. Because very often there's a really simple way to meet our own needs. And until we take the time to go in and, and nurture ourselves, be compassionate with ourselves, see what we might need. Maybe we just need to be alone in our own little quiet world for five minutes before we go back out into the world. Maybe we need to open a window for some fresh air. Maybe we need a cup of tea, right? We And, and, and often when we're when we're quiet, when we're still, and we ask, what do you need? Often a need will emerge that is not something that we know how to meet for ourselves. We do not know how to have this need met, but even then the recognition and allowing of the need is the first step to opening those universal forces that are gonna show us how to have it. So we have to acknowledge what our needs are, even if they don't seem readily like something that we can take care of. And then from there we go on to darling, what would you love? What would you love? We don't pause to ask our, our tender inner soul what would light it up, what would be what would be joyful right now. So it's, it's a really, really simple practice. Some of my joy schoolers set their watches or phones to go off at different intervals during the day, but it starts that relationship with the, the vertical self, the part of us that is the most real part of us, the part where our joy and love naturally effortlessly resides. So we have to sort of use our horizontal self to touch in with that part of us. Explain horizontal self and vertical self. I mean, you just talked about vertical self. What is horizontal That's when I'm self? having a nap or when I'm working. <laughs> Wait, I think I probably Which one is that, that wrong. Which one is that? Horizontal <laughs> or vertical? Napping is the, uh, is the vertical or what? Yeah, we need Lisa to sort this out for us. So sorry, y'all. I was on a podcast just before that, so I'm forgetting what I've already talked about. Yes, I use Eckhart Tolle terminology that I borrowed from him way long ago. He doesn't really use these terms anymore. I feel like I have to say that because they're like, what do you mean? I never hear Eckhart say that. 
but the we all have a, a horizontal self, which is our body, our name, our family placement, our job, our affiliations and opinions out there in the worldly world. Okay, this is our horizontal self. We all have a vertical self. We all have a, a source energy. It's that love, it's that divinity, it's that connection to spirit. We all have it. There's nobody walking the planet without one. We've been so, so conditioned to put all of our effort and energy into our horizontal self and completely ignore the vertical aspect where joy is just a natural thing that we all possess. So that was what I meant by those, those terms. We're not looking to completely disidentify with the horizontal self. That would be impossible and wouldn't even serve us. We came here to have a human journey. We're just looking to reposition the attention that we give to the vertical self to let it be a little bit more in the foreground of our lives and just escorting the horizontal self a little bit more into the, the background. Some people call it the ego, the, you know, the, the conscious mind. That's where all our suffering is. We make up our suffering. Our suffering is all in, in this horizontal self, this tiny little identity that we've made up to come through this little earth journey with. The, the far bigger, more expansive, more joyful part of us is the part that we've all been trained away from to ignore. So we want to want to bring that more into the foreground. And every challenge is a portal. What what are you talking about? Every challenge is a portal. I like portals. I like That's portals the, too. Yeah, we like fiction, we talk science fiction around yeah. here a lot. We love portals, Jim. But every challenge is a portal. What do you mean? My curiosity is saying I think I'd rather hear you guys talk about. <laughs> Just say Star Wars and we're happy. Star Wars. <laughs> At yes. any point, if you need us to be joyous, just say Star Wars and Sarah and Jim will go immediately into it. But tell us about portals. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. So uh, when something happens that we don't like, <laughs> it's an opportunity for us to practice all of these things. It's, it's an opportunity for us to practice our acceptance, practice being in the flow, go into our intuition to ask, how is this here to serve me? What can I learn from this? Instead of why is this happening to me? You know, it's all about the questions we ask. We want to, we want to get into the habit of there's, there's an opportunity here. There, there's a, this challenge is an opportunity for something good to unfold. Help, you know, intuition, you know, how can I use my intuition, my inner knowing to see the opportunity and take the, the steps that are going to direct me to the prize? By the way, um, I thought I mentioned to you beforehand, you're not allowed to go on any other podcasts. That's uh, <laughs> That doesn't give me joy. You're on other okay. No, I, I'm, I'm just I'm kidding. Gonna, I'm going to counter fun. that, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> we need joy everywhere in the world. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, I'd be pretty happy to just hang out here with y'all if you could keep me busy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to talk about the perception filter a little bit. I know we need to wind things up, but uh, can we talk about that process and, and how we how we shift? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I quote a lot of my teachers in Joy School and uh, Joe Dispenza says that there are 400 billion bits of information available to us in any given moment around us, right? And our little tiny puny human brains have only evolved to really process fully and make sense of about 50 bits of information at any given moment. So what's going to determine which out of the 400 billion bits are going to come through our consciousness and land in our awareness to create our reality, it's going to be the ones that jibe with that filter, that early, early, early formed perception filter. So we're all seeing the world through a keyhole. None of our keyholes are lined up the same. And understanding that allows us to start the process of widening the keyhole, lining it up better on not an untruth, but just one of those other 400 billion bits of reality that we weren't seeing because of the blinders of our early conditioning. So it's just about the, the recognition that there's so much opportunity and synchronicity and, and beauty and wonderfulness that we are just conditioned not to see. And until we make some new habits and start expanding that filter, we'll we'll just miss them. 
want to wind things up. Well, I don't want to wind things up, but we don't have a year for the podcast. And that's what you go. The book takes you through a year's worth of time. So that being understood, um, I, I guess I want to address what if we have a listener that's in a dark place right now? What's a first step towards joy that you would recommend? Yeah. So dark places almost always involve at least some aspect of self beating up. So look at that. We we have to forgive ourselves first. We have to have self-compassion and allow yourself to be in the dark place. One of, one of our three school little taglines, and it's it sounds so silly, but it's, what if this is actually okay? And mm-hmm. it's almost anywhere. It's like this thing that you feel is is crushing you is being this like huge obstacle in your path. What if this is actually okay? Because sometimes, you know, what if my marriage feeling is the 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 portal to a whole new new level of of life that I couldn't even begin to imagine right now? What if losing this job is exactly what needs to happen because there's this much more beautiful opportunity waiting for me? And sometimes being in that dark place, allowing ourselves the fullness of that feeling, it opens something in us. There's 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 a reason that so many people have their spiritual awakenings after a dark night of the soul. A dark night of the soul can be hugely liberating and cleansing because all of that that stuff that we've been holding on to so tightly when when the universe just kind of rips it out of our hands against our will it's gonna suck it's gonna feel really 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 bad but once we've let go of it there's there's this like spaciousness for something new to grow and emerge that sometimes there's just there's no other way to get us to that point of spaciousness other than the cosmic two by four tell me about joy school Joy School has had many configurations and even different names over the years, but currently um, it's groups, online groups. It's almost all online. I do have live things here in South Florida. Sometimes I just did a retreat in San Diego. So there are live events that if you want to go to my website, which is my name, there's an events um, tab, which tells about the live events. But for the most part, the, the new Joy Schoolers who are coming in meet four times per month online for 90 minutes. I bring in other guest teachers for some of those. And it's really about, it's about attunement because so much of that, that, that structure, that uh, perception filter that we create early on, it's because most of us were not attuned to properly. We didn't have bad parents. We just have parents who didn't know any better. And attunement is just being able to be all of who you are, every last bit of it without any judgment. And and it's what releases the obstructions that got there because we felt like we had to be something different from what we were. So we're we're trying to undo some of that early programming in Joy School. So it's it's support groups. It's all they're always small online groups, and they're really really loving and beautiful spaces to just come be all of who you are. That gives me a smile. That gives me joy. I like that. Thanks for joining us, Lisa. It's been so great having you on the show. Y'all are fabulous. I love you. We but- love you too shows and i will stop doing any other podcast <laughs> <laughs> no we need you to spread more joy or more let people know how to access their joy i should i should see i've i've, I've been converted there we go <laughs> please check out lisa mccourt's podcast do joy the vibration elevation podcast right on mindbodyspirit.fm and her new book is free your joy the 12 keys to sustainable happiness check out her joy school at lisamccourt.com thanks so much lisa thank you guys have a beautiful day love you for more great information about sarah bowen to order her new book sacred send-offs and animal chaplain's advice for surviving animal loss making life meaningful and healing the planet go to sacredsendoffs.com to contact me you can email me at jim at youthrivehere.com thanks everybody i'm jim lefter with sarah bowen we'll talk with you next time on big universe
Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.